Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Welcome, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. This morning, I have the pleasure of talking with Mr. Gary Hampton. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Vernon. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. Happy to be here. Good, good, good. And by the way, where are you this morning? What part of the world? I am in Minneapolis this morning. I'm a transplant from West Virginia, but I um, now reside in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, I'm in D.C. right now, and I grew up in Bluefield, West Virginia. So, hey, bro, homeboy. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, fellow fellow mountaineer. Yes, yes. Great place to grow up and be from. Okay. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about you are a member. Matter of fact, you're the vice chair of ACE, and ACE is the Association of Cooperative Educators. But before we do that, I'd like to know, how did you get into this work? What, what, what's your story? How do you get into ACE and co-ops? Um, I'll, I'll start with, I got into co-ops through several individuals back home in West Virginia, Mabry Davis and Brandon Nida, uh, through what was Co-op Appalachia. I uh, went to uh, some Southern Reparation Loan Fund um, trainings and convenings and realized like i can do this i can support this and this is a, a viable option to to the current economic systems taking place um to to help communities and so that's how i really got involved with co-ops and continue to stay involved and then that led led me on to um becoming more involved in the co-op ecosystem really getting bug and joining in to other organizations and connecting with other organizations. And I was asked while at the impact conference about joining the board of ACE. And at that point I was pretty much uh, brought into ACE and voted in vice chair last year in Vancouver, British Columbia at the last ACE Institute. So when you mentioned the impact conference, that's the NCBA, the National Cooperative Business Associations, annual conference uh here in dc um, yes correct that that conference okay let's go back to your formal schooling did you learn anything about co-ops in your education no not at all um there was there was no mentioning uh, mentioning of co-ops um i was never familiar with what a co-op was until about 2008 when i was working as deputy director of small business development in the state of west virginia and that wasn't one of the models small business models that was really touted or seemed to gain any interest in the short period that i was there but it, it it's a challenge that we, we don't get that um, and it's not taught uh, alongside the traditional business models um, that we see and hear about every day. So what kind of education do you have? I have a background in bachelor's in management information systems from Marshall University. And then I have a few different certifications and then just um, the, the in, informal education of experience, of being given opportunity um, to, to learn on the job, um, take risks. And, um, you know, I think those are the, the most valuable components um, outside because, you know, management information systems, I was in the tech sector for 20 plus years and, um, you know that that those things do transfer over um, in, into this work, but we, we just didn't get that in college, and I, not many colleges today really touch on it. There's some out there, but there's not enough of the conversation around co-ops. 
and and their viability and their resiliency as a viable business and economic and community development model. So when you when you talk about the other economic system, you're talking about the capitalistic model. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, I, when I, I speak to the capitalist model, I, I mean it's very much about the bottom line for the organization. Whereas co-ops really have uh, more of a triple bottom line opportunity because of their concern for community um, and really to address issues where the standard status quo systems um, fail us and fail many communities, both rural and urban communities. So. Um what is the triple bottom line? I got the bottom line because I got my MBA and and all decisions were made on what's the greatest return on investment for the shareholder. It was like you did all of your analysis down to look at of all of your options, which one gives the shareholder the greatest return. So it was profit. That was the, the number one thing that decisions were made on. But when you say triple bottom line, what are you talking about? Yeah, so so you're you're thinking about um, it expands beyond like what we usually look at as, as your basic business metrics. Um, it, it includes your contributions to uh, the social well-being of your community, the environment, and um, also building building a more just economy. And so, is you know, in that is you know, there there's still that somewhat of a capitalistic piece but it's, it's really about the people the planet and prosperity so is there's there's these opportunities to take your business and make your business more about just profit and and really take into concern everything around you and the and ecosystems and it and the communities that that you connect with so it just really it really goes beyond profit You've just said what I believe, and that is that the co-op model, people come first, or you call it social well-being. Um, the planet comes second. You call it environment. Uh, and then profit. Now, and, and that's where you, you say, well, capitalism is still there because you, you have to make a profit. You, you, you can't stay in business without making a profit, but that's not that be-all and end-all in the, in the uh, co-op world where it is too often in the capitalistic model and uh, capitalistic uh, organizations, profit becomes the thing to go after. And that causes short-term decision-making and decision-making that is perhaps against the people, particularly the people that work there, and against particularly the people in the community, and it could be against the environment. So... That to me is the biggest difference and the reason that I like co-op. And I also did not get anything about co-ops in my formal education. Two master's degrees and an undergrad, uh, but I was in math and chemistry undergrad. You were, you were over there in the computer world. Uh, so in, in that whole STEM world, you, you don't get a lot about people in business, but I did not get anything about this co-op model. So you said there were two people that you met that told you about this model and that kind of turned you on to it. Is there anything particular that they said that caused you to gravitate toward this co-op model? It it wasn't necessarily that they said it was it was just the opportunity of of being asked to to take this journey to Asheville, North Carolina, and to be in the presence of individuals like Ed. And then is that, also, would that be Ed Whitfield? Yes, Ed Whitfield. Oh, he's a great, yes. he's Ed, a great, great bro, great bro. All yeah, right. Ed Whitfield, um, Jessica. She oh, was you talking about Doctor Jessica Gordon Nimhard? Yes, Doctor okay. Jessica Gordon Nimhard. <laughs> Those two would do it right there. there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and then there was just you know it was just just the energy and the. Uh, the, the realness of, of the space and and then being able to get out into the community and observe how individuals were moving and living cooperatively um, down in Asheville and how they were taking care of their housing needs, food needs, community social needs, and, and really working together. And, and so, it was, you know, it's like this. Yeah, this is this is that piece. You know, is how can I get myself 
and bring my talents and skills into this and and really support this movement and really dive into it. And so, and then just having individuals around that, you know, we're seeking community and, and looking for additional opportunities is I, I was all in. Um, and I felt like I had a lot from my past work and professional experiences to contribute. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mine was a little bit different. I, I had a property management business here in Washington, D.C., and so I was managing housing co-ops. And that took me to the local group, um, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia housing co-ops. And then from there, I went to the national. And there were two senior citizens at the time, um, older white gentlemen, Roger Wilcox and Herb Fisher. Uh, Roger died three years ago at 97, and Herb is probably in his 90s now. But they um, they set me down at their knee and taught me about co-ops and the benefits of co-ops. And they had created co-ops. Roger had created housing affordable housing co-ops all over the U.S. But listen, uh, everybody, we're going to take our first break. And, Gary, when we come back, I want to get into this ACE, uh, which you're the vice chair, which you talked a little bit about. Thank you so much for telling us about how you got into co-ops. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. And we have Mr. Gary Hampton on with us this morning. Gary, you had mentioned that you're the vice chair of ACE. What is ACE? ACE is the Association of Cooperative Educators, and it was started back and incorporated back in 1969 and focuses on bringing individuals together through the ACE Institute around cooperative development, cooperative education, and and knowledge mobilization is, is the way I really like to look at it. Knowledge mobilization? Yes. How do you mobilize knowledge? I mean, just just looking at it is, 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 as, as we're doing now, we're talking, we're sharing, we're speaking about co-ops, uh, is, is taking knowledge or information and just putting it into action, whether you're sharing it, whether you're applying it, different things of that nature, things that actually put knowledge into the, a verbal context so that it's, it's moving and transferring between people, between mediums and really sharing um, whatever the concept, subject, or information is about. Um, and, and really more so in, in an applied approach. So you, is you, you're taking the information and, and data and, and content and, you know, putting it to work. So you're, you're really, you're kind of mobilizing it. Okay. Okay. Uh, who are the members of ACE? Or who do you want to be members well, the, the members of ACE are uh, constitute uh, organizations, individuals, educators. Um, so is is really everybody that's out there can be and should be members of ACE um, for a number of reasons. Because if you if you're working in this space, then as as a developer, you're training people up, you're educating, you're connecting with community. Um, as educators, you can bring value and add value as um, doing research projects or actually helping bring it into your uh, campuses and institutions. So anybody that's involved in, in educating and, and training up um, cooperative members and building community um, has, has a place here with us with ACE. So you have an ACE Institute. Yes. What what is it? I think of an institute as somewhere where people go to learn things. But yes, and and, and that's what it becomes. It, it's uh, you know it it's it's an annual conference um, that's in North America. Um, it's usually held in Puerto Rico, Canada, or the United States, and um, it it brings together and promotes cooperative education and trainings. Um, to again to all cooperators, whether it's educators, leaders, developers, or learners, you know, even a place for co-op interested. Um, so it's 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 a u- unique and um, 
unique learning and professional development opportunity for cooperators from different boundaries, uh, across national boundaries, um, across various cooperative sectors, uh, which, which can be applicable to any of the traditional sectors that we see. Um, and it's been around since around 1952, and it, it's the one thing that is, is at the heart of ACE. It, it's what ACE is about, is, is really about bringing individuals and connecting individuals. So when you talk about any sector uh, across geographical boundaries, and I, just for, for everybody out there, if the four sectors that I have are if the, if the uh, co-op is owned and controlled by its members, it's called a worker co-op owned and controlled by the employees. If the co-op is owned and controlled by the people that uses the products and services, it's called a consumer co-op. And you got housing co-ops, uh, credit unions, rural electric co-ops. Um, and then you've got a couple uh, co-ops that are like businesses. It's a purchasing co-op, and that's where a group of people or companies come together, form a business that purchases what they need, Farmers do this a lot. Uh, people in agriculture will form a purchasing co-op to buy their seed or fertilizers or whatever they might need. So they have this group of people uh, that become experts in working with the vendors, and they get a better product at a, lo a lower price because they also buy in volume. And then you have a marketing co-op, and sometimes that's called a producer co-op. And that's just a group of people or businesses come together, form a business, to market the products. So you may have a farmer in St. Paul, Minnesota, that sells their milk in California or New York through a marketing co-op where they couldn't do that individually. And that company may also take that milk and make butter or cottage cheese or do other things with, that's why it's called a producer co-op. So those are your four basic types. And now there's also coming up platform co-ops. That's a whole nother conversation. So for ACE, it could be any of these sectors you're saying can come and join in and talking about how we can educate each other and the public about the co-op model. Is that what I got? Yes, yes. I, yes, and I, I really, I, I like to look at, you know, that that coming together, you know, we, we talk about principles and whatnot is is, is cooperation among cooperators, principle six, and, you know, and then seven is, you know, concern for community. And so as as as, as you're as you're doing this work is what is what is that foundational piece that brings awareness, understanding and knowledge and, and skill development to to build co-ops is, is education. So it's. You know, it's really founded around those 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 three principles. Really, have a hold in in what ACE is and, and what ACE can become as well as we continue to build out um, the educational component of the cooperative ecosystem. Well, you finally you didn't name the you talked about the fifth principle, but but not, but not naming it as P five. P5 was the main reason that, that grabbed me about co-ops because I watched these mostly elderly black women run these big businesses, these housing co-ops. Sometimes they didn't have a high school degree or mostly had a high school degree, and they made very, very sound decisions because they got the education that they needed. That was the fifth principle. That's the first thing that attracted me to co-ops was the education that happens for everyday people. And then, like you said, the sixth principle is cooperation among co-ops, and the seventh one is concern for the community. Um, then that all gets to be very interesting. The second one, I, the fifth principle is what I liked. And then I went to the first principle. If it's a co-op, then it's open to everybody and anybody, regardless of race or gender or religion or political persuasion. Um, so it's just open to everybody. And of course, the second one is democratically controlled, one member, one vote. So I love the principles and the values of cooperation. And I assume you all teach that and your or talk about that at the institute. Yeah, it, it comes out in the different workshops. Um, you know, there's 
there's there's that understanding that you're there. You already understand those those Rossdale principles. But then is those different elements will come out during the workshops, the presentations, the panels, um, and and so so those. Those are at the heart of it um, as, as we speak to co-ops. So they, they are touched upon um, as as we execute and, and move through the institute. Okay, talking about the different um, um, panels and discussions, um, what is this ears to the ground, eyes to the sky, lessons from the land, and young QTB op cooperative leaders? What is that session about? That session, and I, I apologize, I don't have the, the full descriptions here in front of me, but that session is um, speaking to to the inclusiveness of the co-op ecosystem um, that, that all people are, are involved in and looking at it through the lens of LGBT and, and queer individuals. Okay. And building a resilient worker cooperative ecosystem in Madison, Wisconsin. I'd like to be in that one. What it, what is that going to be about? So that that's going to be focusing on as it'll be a group of individuals, some individuals from MapWorks, some individuals that work with the UW Center for Cooperatives, and they're going to be talking about their ecosystem, um, how they work together, and and what they're doing and building out their ecosystem. Um, so they're, they 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 have a, a interesting unique story in my opinion because they're also working with municipalities so it's it's not just inside of the co-op ecosystem it's actually expanding and connecting to other agencies and agents that can help move fund and uh, support the, the work so move fund uh, so it's it's supporting it through capital getting getting capital through government agencies local and federal yeah so so with 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 the group in madison um they they have um opportunity where there's a a municipal um loan funding funding behind it the co-op ecosystem as well i think madison was the government this may have been three or four years ago decided to put up five million dollars one million dollar a year for five years to help create co-ops in New York, it was two and a half million. Or they, 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 their legislation was every year, but for about three years, it was about two and a half million in New York City to to help fund co-ops. And different cities are are doing that now, which is extremely extremely helpful. Um, so, what is this co-op proposal for a workshop on co-op education challenges for developing co-ops within incarcerated? And previously incarcerated people. That that sounds exciting to me. Yeah. So so again, I have to come back. That's that's something that Jessica. Um, that's part of her work, part of her research in Puerto Rico, um, doing it. And and I had the opportunity to learn some about that um, in Vegas when I when I connected with her. But is it's it's so, about co-ops in prison, how they use co-ops um, as a, a way. Um, to build opportunities, create opportunities. Let's, um, let's, let's talk a little bit more about this on the other side of the break. We're going to take our second break now. Um, I'm, I'm extremely interested. In now, now that you say Dr. Jessica Gnor Nimhart is going to be doing that, I really would like to be there or be a part of it. That's excellent. Thank you. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. at Wendy's, when you buy either Dave's Single, Spicy Chicken Sandwich, Medium Frosty, or 10-Piece Nuggets, you can get another for just a buck. Your dollar never tasted so good. So it's obvious what everyone will get, right? Definitely nuts Spicy and Chicken a Sandwich, Dave's, Dave's Single, single. And a Frosty, frosty for me. and a Frosty. Okay, who said Frosty and a Frosty? 
Pick your obvious choice. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's buy one, get one for a buck. Limited time only. Price participation may vary. U.S. Wendy's valid for item of equal or lesser value. Cannot be combined in a combo or any other offer. Thank you for calling Vast National Bank. How may I transfer you? Yeah. Uh, wait, did you just say transfer? Uh, uh, no, I said uh, help. How may I help you? Um, okay, uh, never mind. Uh, I have a question about my account. Okay, let me transfer you to accounts. Hey, what? <sighs> Don't let a big bank make you feel small. How about a community bank? Shake your phone to find yours or learn more at banklocally.org. To learn more. Zero DJ Washington, 95.9 WMMJ HD3 Bethesda, WKYS HD3 Washington, WPRS HD3 Waldorf and worldwide at WOLDCnews.com. The views and opinions of the following show do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of News Talk 1450 WOL, Radio 1 Incorporated, or their management. This is Vernon Oaks and the program is Everything Co-op. Um, Gary, you may not know this, but we've been on the air now almost 10 years. This coming October, we'll celebrate 10 years being on the air. And I just have a lot of fun talking to people like you about this co-op model and how they got involved in it and what the, what the co-op model does for communities, particularly low-income communities. And the National Co-op Bank has been our financial supporter all of these 10 years. Their mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So they're in it, um, and they were created in the 80s by, by the federal government uh, to provide funding for the co-op world, uh, and they just seem to do an excellent job. Have you had an opportunity to work with NCB yet, Gary? I've I've not worked directly with NCB. I've I've met um, several individuals from NCB, um, but at this point um, in my co-op career, I have not worked directly with NCB. Okay. Maybe you can come back on and tell us when you, whenever you do. Okay. Um, so this ace. What we were talking about before the break was co-ops for incarcerated people. And they have co-ops in prisons in Puerto Rico, which Jessica Gordon-Emhart has told me about. But they've also uh, have one in Italy, and they, it's a bakery. And people in the, in the bakery, who, it's a worker co-op, so the members that work there in the bakery are also owners and some of these members are incarcerated in the prisons and some of them are out of prison and um, one of the things I like about it is when the people that are in prison get out very few go back they let three to five percent uh, recidivism where people go back in we're here in the US you're talking about 60 70 80 percent recidivism and the reason is they have a family, they have a group, they have meaning when they get out, they have a job, they they have worth, they have a say in the business. Um, so I like co-ops from that example. Now they do have to choose who can be members of the co-op, okay? Um, but that is just a great way of getting people out of prisons into meaningful work um, with uh, significant pay where they don't have a need to go back in or do things that will cause them to go back into prison. And of course I've had Shy Fresh on, people from Shy Fresh, which was started by five um, black uh, previously incarcerated women and they're in the food industry too in Chicago where they create food for um, institutions like schools um, so they have only they started right when COVID started and they've been highly successful I'm looking to have them back on 
But this whole conversation about prisons and incarcerated people and co-ops and how they can help. But, but it really gets to what you were talking about earlier, and that's the social responsibility um, that co-ops are extremely good for anybody that um, <clears throat> that have had problems in our society, whether it's economic problems, which a lot of blacks and browns and indigenous people have had, or if they've got sideways with the injustice system, um, then co-ops is a way that they can come out and get meaningful work. Uh, so I like the the kinds of classes and that you all are having at your at the institute, and I would really uh, love to be there. I'm not going to be able to make it this year, uh, but you'd be somewhere in North America. Is it every year? Would you? Yes, the the institute happens every year. Um, for instance, last year it was in Vancouver, British Columbia, at UBC, University of British Columbia, and then this year it's in Puerto Rico. Um, the last time that it was in Puerto Rico, I believe, was back in 2013, and so next year we're looking at bringing it back to the United States um, as a as a location, physical location for either. For the institute. So, when you're talking, when we were talking about uh, getting the education about co-ops in Puerto Rico, um, do you know what they do in their school systems for to get people to understand, that young people to understand co-ops? I, I I don't know firsthand what they do in the school system, but. But in, in our previous conversation, I do understand that there there is this movement, there is this support um, from national politicians and, and the government around youth co-ops. Um, one of one of the things I, I did read up on was was a, around a group of young folks, around forty individuals that you know worked with the the political representatives to establish a co-op. Um, and, and this this particular co-op was was really centered around the youth and the efforts of you know a lack of summer camps a lack of opportunities and and so you know that that also just is there's a need for that um, because because that's the next wave of, of leaders and individuals that's that's going to have concern for the planet and their communities um, so I, I would like to see more of that but I I don't have the in-depth information about the co-ops in as far as in the school systems so one of the things that the minimum wage did it really caused like high school students not to be able to get a job it made the particular in black and brown communities young people unemployment being extremely high but what can happen in the co-op world is they can go start their own business okay and they're not in employ their owners okay and then they get both the salary and the profit so they can end up with a higher average uh, income hourly income because they can share the profit when and if there is a profit so the co-ops can also come in and play a role for younger people to work minimum wage has affected the young people in a very negative kind of way okay so you're vice chair of ACE. So is that where you make your living? They pay you for that? No, that's it's it's a volunteer position. It's volunteer work. A lot of a lot of the good work that we do a lot of times don't come with the compensation, but I, I enjoy it. Um, it. it's it's just so gratifying and, and to to be able to do this work and provide opportunities. Um for other cooperators um, to continue to learn and, and skill up. So you look like you eat well. How do you how do you make money to to put food? Um, in the so you know I'm 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 a part of the Ajani group. So you know there's some money that comes in from projects there, but then also uh, being a business growth consultant, I also work with within the community uh, with different organizations, building and connecting what I call. You know, let's build better, broader bridges. You know, how, how do we uplift our communities? How do we bring individuals together 
And then so is is with really being about the relationships, the relationships usually evolve into moving it, moving the money and, and then I make my money as the money's moving. Okay. So what's the Ajani group? You mentioned it first. Yes, the the Ajani group. It's a it's a group of, of BIPOC work it's a worker owner co op. Um, we do education and workforce development uh, trainings. We we work with collaborative partners on different projects around the country. Some directly building co ops, um, some educating co ops, uh, and so it, it it consists of a, a a number of individuals from around the country. So why was it formed? Johnny, it, it was formed because we were all in a, in a period of, of seeking community uh, within the co-op ecosystem. Um, you know, uh, Stephen McDowell and T. Evans, they, they came together and um, were familiar with each other. And then they, you know, started inviting in individuals like Rob McClinton and Mabry Davis. And, you know, I came in with Mabry Davis. And and so is you know it's a it's a unique skill set of individuals. We have the tech, we have the legal, you know, we have the the urban planning and climate and education component with Esther West, um, who's done work with Dr. Jessica Gordon M. Hart and some research as well. Rob McClinton's again with Small World, Mabry Davis with New West Virginia, formerly um, Cooperation Appalachia. Um, and and then my then myself and uh, Tia Evans. She's currently she has a legal background. She's with NCBA Clusa as a program director. And Stephen McDowell himself, he's actually running as a blue dog for Congress in Virginia with a co-op platform. So um, I, I know several. I know several of these people. So um, like Rob works with with us. He's been very helpful. Stephen McDowell has been on the show a couple times. So, yeah, I, I know several of these folks. I think Mavery Davis may have been on the show for West, talking about West Virginia. I had somebody on the show talking about West Virginia. Okay. Do you like what you do? Yes, I love it. it it's it's not like work. It's very gratifying. Um, you know, having a sports background, being a coach is, you know, you're, you're always looking at how do you build teams? How do you build people up? How do you 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 move towards uh, accomplishing a, a shared shared goal? You know, and bringing your talents together to accomplish that goal, and you know, and, and that's kind of how we we did things as a Johnny. We we really started on that on the relationships, and that makes it easy. So it, it it's very enjoyable work and very gratifying work. Okay, so I don't know why Steve didn't invite me, but okay, I'll talk that up to him later. <laughs> Can you give us any examples of the people you're working with in Ajani? What kinds of projects that you all work on? Yeah, so some of the projects that we work on, um, we, it's mostly with startup co-ops um, and then also co-op curious entrepreneurs, um, you know, through workshops, uh, sessions, and uh, co-op development and education. Um, we've worked with agencies like uh, NDCC, New West Virginia, MCDC, and you know, then we've also worked with, within the food sector, worked with marketing and, and outlooks and strategies for uh, Fat Daddies, which is a new West Virginia, their first co-op, which also goes back to Jessica's work because it's also a story of preventing recidivism, uh, giving an opportunity for someone to to own their path forward with, with dignity and provide for their family and bring in their family. It's a family-based co-op. And then also we're... But what, to, I'm sorry, Fat Daddy's got my attention. What do they do? Oh, they smoke meats. They have sandwiches. Um, they're, you know, they're at different events. So, um, and, and it's good food. It's good okay. food and great people. Okay. Got to find them when I go back home. Okay. So you were getting ready to talk about another project maybe? Um, yeah, so we also work with, uh, going to be doing some work with Texas Rural Cooperative Development Center on some financial trainings as well, and that'll be this summer and fall. And then also working with, um, back in West Virginia, through New West Virginia, um, with Mabry Davis, who's with the Johnny, 
um, Westside Together Project, a community collaborative project to develop long-term co-op uh, models for economic and community development. Long-term co-ops. Okay. Yeah, looking at long-term, I'm, I'm sorry, long-term cooperative models. Okay. No, I, I, I got it. I got it. So we're going to take our final break and talking about long-term cooperative models. Uh, when we come back, I would like to talk about what does the, what do you see the future looks like for co-ops? And I want you to tell people how they can register for the ACE Institute. Okay. But we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. So welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, the program is Everything Co-op. I've been having a great conversation with Gary Hampton. We've covered a lot of territory. We've talked about the ACE Institute, which is August the 7th through the 10th in Puerto Rico. And they're all about educating people about this cooperative model. So, Gary, how can people register for this conference yes so so to register for register for the conference um go to ace.coop ace.coop and you you will see right at the top of the page at, on the landing page when you get there that there's there's the opportunity to go ahead and sign on and and join the conference how much does it cost for registration right off the top hold on i <laughs> I believe the registration is three thirty-five, and I, I will have to confirm that real quick. But I believe it's three thirty-five for the conference, and that includes uh, some. I saw banquet and lunches yes, and bank, banquet, banquet and everything. And there's there's also different options available, um, and I'll, I'll actually clarify that. General admission is, is four seventy-five. I apologize. For okay. members, non-members, it's five seventy-five, and then there's one-day pack. So is you can be there Monday or Tuesday for one Monday and Tuesday for one seventy-five, and Tuesday Wednesday packs are two seventy-five, and uh, Wednesday Thursday is two twenty-five. So there's from and then the banquet only is one fifteen. So from one fifteen to five seventy-five um, is is the actual cost of attendance and participating in A's. Okay. And I did see, it may be too late, but I did see where you could apply for scholarships. Um, yeah, so so there was an opportunity for scholarships. Thanks to NBA CLUSA and, and their work, we're able to get 20 individuals from the United States and Puerto Rico that serve distressed and, under, and underserved communities and black and brown communities to Puerto Rico, full stipend scholarships, uh, flight, particip- um, hotel, and... Um, the conference fees as well. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping that's something we can do in the future. Last year, we were able to get five individuals there and as part of the DEI, and so this year is, is we were blessed with the opportunity to um, get the funding for these scholarships. That includes flight, hotel, and the registration. That covers just about everything. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the education for co-ops and the different sectors, no matter what sector it might be, no matter what geography it may be. Uh, When we talked about the different principles, the first principle is open to anybody, regardless of race or gender or politics or uh, religion or anything else. If if it's a co-op and operating as a co-op, that co-op is open for to anybody. We talked about co-op for incarcerated people. We talked about co-op for young people, um, for folks that are in under-resourced um, communities. Uh, and co-op seem to flourish better when there's problems like the Great Depression or Great Recession or anything that's going on where people need to pull themselves up. So I guess the question becomes, I wanted to look at the future to see what kind of educational needs you might see. Or how do you see even co-ops in the future? So I'll, I'll start with the foundation with the educational piece. Um, you know, we, we have ed.coop, which we're strategizing around how that moves forward and, and evolves. But I'm, with the I'm, I'm sorry, Gary. I'm sorry. But that's ed.coop, 
That's yes. Like education, ed.coop. Okay, go ahead. Yes, and, and so it's a repository for members, but it it could really become something even greater um, as we move forward and look at it because it could become a, what what I like to refer to as a knowledge commons as that place where everything in the co-op ecosystem with a, that's related to education, professional, and workforce development across the sectors and industries that co-ops are in. And and so I, th- I think that is, is, is a path forward, but is we also have to continue, we have to talk more about co-ops. Uh, we also have to, to bring co-ops into our K through 12 institutions, our higher ed institutions, um, not that as an alternative, but right alongside um, as we educate and train up individuals around traditional business models. Because is, you know, co-ops are small businesses, you know, and, and, and like, for instance, states like West Virginia, about 98% probably of small businesses, of, of all businesses are small business. So, you know, is, is bringing more collective thought around it, more collective action around it, being very intentional about speaking up. And I, I think one of the pathways is really bringing credit unions in as part of that educational hub or distribution and awareness, because a lot of individuals may not understand that their credit union is most likely a co-op, you know, and so direct facing with the community. So um, I, I think those are some of the things that we can do to broaden the awareness and, and bring more to the educational co-ops. But then is is really like in particular the HBCU communities, you know, is, is bringing that in the fold because there's an existing ecosystem that would compare with the co-op ecosystem on a holistic level to really impact communities that really could benefit from from the opportunities of having cooperative development at the heart of their community development and and really working together as communities, um, organizations, nonprofits, government agencies to to lift up the communities on on a collective and collaborative level through cooperation. So I was in a in a meeting with with I want to say seven brothers who were heads of historically black colleges and universities, seven different colleges and universities was represented. And they were talking about the future in education, educating blacks and the problems of historically black colleges and universities getting funding to keep them alive and so forth. So I stood up and raised the question about teaching about co-ops and what co-ops are and how co-ops could help historically black colleges and universities. It was like I was talking to the wall. They almost like they had no idea what I was talking about. So my question was, was it futuristic and they needed this, this, this knowledge bank that you were talking about, this knowledge commons. They needed the backdrop. You mentioned historically black colleges and universities. I know that Tuskegee has some classes because of their agriculture work, but how do you get black colleges and universities, historically black colleges and universities, the information that, 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 that ACE gives out this education so that they will either understand the benefits of co-ops to the, our communities, but also to the community of that particular college or university and those those students that go there. How do, how do we get that done? Yeah, I, I think that has to be deliberate and intentional. Um, just to go back to the, the National Black Cooperative Agenda Conference in Vegas a few months back is is that, you know, we had we had HBCU law schools and we were speaking about policy and, and co-ops as a possible restorative and healing component for, for black communities. So we have to be intentional. We have to continue to build on that, it, you know, even to the point of, you know, imagining with the, the 100 plus HBCUs, if there was a, a, a somewhat of a cooperative community development center, a way that really connects the community, brings in these educational pieces, makes the HBCU one of the anchor institutions in, in local, regional and, and national movements. Um, and really connecting with what exists. For instance, an example would, could be with New West Virginia and Mabry Davis and having an HBCU there, West Virginia State University extension is 
you know, there's there's this grassroots movement, there's this institutional opportunity, and together collectively, there's power, you know, and and then is is continuing to to work and, and bridge that gap with building that ecosystem. What is the funding? What are the educational paths? And you know, things like co-op academies, um, like Mabry Davis's starting this Saturday with New West Virginia. Um, so those those are things like just being intentional and, and coming and connecting with 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 the different movement pieces, the conferences that are there. So is we we have to one be intentional about how we're going to connect and reach out to be intentional about inviting individuals into the space and three be intentional about targeting just hbcus and bringing those extensions those leadership individual leadership of those institutions into these spaces and having these conversations so it, it needs to be a combination of webinars it needs to be you know grassroots on the ground and then once we get inside of the hbcu community and ecosystem is we, we got the power of, of the Greeks, of the fraternities, you know, of entrepreneurs and individuals that are leaders in their communities that can help uplift this work. And, and you know, one of the things we, we have to we have to battle and, and overcome the challenge of the, the, the ca- capitalistic mindset of me and I, you know, and understand that the power of co-ops can help you get there faster together. You know, we can we can move forward and and topple all the different systems and and challenges and barriers in front of us if we move forward together. And I I, I think that there's there's room for that, and and there's some movement around that. There's some conversation around that, and um, I'm hoping that we can expand on those things here in the near future. So that that that's my thoughts on on how we can do some of those things and it, it, it you know it, it takes bringing more people to the table and continuing to aggregate you know those ideas concepts of what we're doing now what we can do tomorrow and what that can look like in the future and it's up to us so if we look at those hbcus uh we look at the churches they were formed by us moving together our ancestors moving forward together, taking our little pennies and nickels, pulling the resources together and forming these institutions. And that's what you're saying we still have to do in the future. Yes. We, 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 need, we need to come back and find ourselves, find each other and, and trust each other. And then we can be transformative together. Fantastic, bro. Gary, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. We covered a lot. I'd love to have you back on again. And uh, I would hope to be at ace next year everybody out there we'll see you next thursday please live cooperatively and that is moving forward together thank you Talk 1450 AM and 95.9 FM. 959.